0: In the news today, one of Rock's biggest bands has announced the formation of yet another charitable organization. This one dedicated to fighting the growing epidemic of lung cancer. MTTV was there and this historic announcement was made.
1: In the beginning there was live aid, then came the
0: struggle against AIDS and environmental destruction. Well today Rock and Roll continues to prove that it can be a
1: positive force for change. The latest artist deflects his philanthropic muscles. Well, nobody less than the man himself, superstar Nicotine, backed by his band The Stains.
0: Nick is the genius behind such mega hits as Smoking in the Boys' Room, Smoke on the Water, Tobacco Road, and You Light Up My Life. Nicotine and The Stains say they are very serious about snuffing out lung cancer. And to this end, Winsome Cigarettes and The Stains are proud to be uh, co-sponsoring a uh, series of benefit concerts under the name Rock Against Lung Cancer. All we'll proceeds, of course, will go towards uh, helping find a cure for this horrible disease. Uh, are there any questions, in? Nick, uh, Mr. O'Teen, don't you think there's something of an inconsistency here? I mean, you must know that smoking is a primary cause of lung cancer, and yet many of your songs openly advocate smoking cigarettes. Look, man, songs are just
2: that—songs. They're entertainment. They're not responsible for anyone's actions.
0: Right, and anyway, kids are gonna smoke, regardless of Maya, uh, anyone else's music. You know, my songs deal honestly with that. And, uh, you know, we've gotta, we, we just tell it like it is. We're, we're like reporters, sort of. Well, uh, uh, what O'Keefe? about your lifestyle, then? Your three-pack-a-day habit, those ever-present cigarettes, and the fact that a tobacco company sponsors these concerts. <laughs> oh, what <Man>. about them? <laughs> Look. Again, you're not giving our fans enough credit. Right. Uh, they're not going to just do something just because I do it. Uh, right. uh-huh. Furthermore, my, my smoking habit may be common knowledge, but it's also well known that I won't even put a cigarette up to my lips unless That's it has a filter. filter. Right. And, right. uh, you know, we've got to deal with reality. You know, uh, kids are going to smoke. Yep. That's just the way it is. And, and we've, got to, we've got to learn to accept that. And, and and stop all this nonsense about abstinence and, and instead teach safe smoking. That's go. something that I, I believe we do as a group uh, and uh, and Winsome Cigarettes does as well. In fact, uh, uh, all 30 of the brands that they manufacture actually have filters. Thank goodness, over. Over yeah. Nicotine and the stains, proving once again that rock rules. Back to you, Kurt.
2: We can all smile at the prospect of a chain-smoking rock group trying to stamp out lung cancer. But there's nothing very funny about the reality it pokes fun at. Take, for example, the AIDS epidemic. There's a simple biblical solution to this
1: disease that apparently the media, the artists, and the activists want to ignore. It goes like this. Abstain from sex before marriage. Don't shoot drugs. Marry someone with the same values, and then remain faithful to one another for life, you won't get AIDS. Too simple? Well, then let's complicate it a bit. You know, it really doesn't matter whether you're gay, straight, bi, whatever. Let's make light of abstinence, and instead plug safer sex, and hope that nothing goes wrong. Then let's appoint as an international spokesperson for this promiscuity-based disease a a person who's been married eight times.
0: Whether you're gay, straight, or bisexual, always protect yourself. Use a condom every time you have sex, every time. Hey you, don't be silly, put a rubber
1: on your willy! Fold in another superstar whose art and lifestyle glamorized the sexual debauchery that initiated and sustained the epidemic. Now add a perverted rock group with three members who've been convicted of sexual battery.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, heteros and homos.
1: Season with an advocate for children who can't seem to keep his hands off his crotch in public and who has videos that could serve as training films for the production of sexually active kids. And top it all off with an avalanche of movies, songs and TV shows that preach the joys of pre- and extramarital sex.
2: The million-dollar question becomes, how did this happen? Or better yet, why do so many today deny that it's happened? Well, the bottom line spiritual answer is simple. In many places, the Bible warns us that this type of moral lobotomy occurs as a direct result of rejecting God and seeking our own desires. The problem in recognizing this from a human perspective, however, is that few societies or individuals consciously set out to do this. Typically, their falling away is a slow, incremental process that almost always begins with good intentions. The attempt to reach into heaven only later is revealed to be an escalator into hell.
1: Nowhere is this reality more tragically realized than in the changes this century has brought to the way we raise our kids. Oh, the cow kicked (laughs) belly in the belly and the bike. Would you shut the hell up? (laughs) (laughs) During the first 400 years of America's history, child rearing practices were largely based on traditions and philosophies found in scripture.
0: Good morning, children. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not He to lie down and bring
2: Prayer,
1: Bible studies, discipline, and a strong emphasis on self-control and self-sacrifice were customary. Children were trained primarily by their parents and then brought into the adult community while still in their early teens. They were then expected to behave as adults, remaining under the authority and supervision of their parents until they married and started their own families. As the 19th century drew to a close, however, profound cultural changes began to chip away at this ideal. More and more, the family was getting lost in the bustle of the Industrial Revolution. The complexities of the modern city, the explosive growth, the changing nature of work, the proliferation of new ideas and moralities, The almost endless possibilities and problems of this brave new world often outran the ability of families to adapt. Perhaps most significantly, as the economy boomed, success seemed more and more a question of how much money one had. Increasingly, fathers and sometimes even mothers began surrendering their child-rearing responsibilities in order to chase after the so-called American dream. Add to all this the mass production of the automobile. Suddenly, a whole new world of options opened up outside the family circle, including a peer-regulated system of dating.
0: Take me home!
1: In the midst of all this upheaval, a quiet revolution of ideas concerning child rearing was also taking place. Men like John Dewey were proposing that the state step in and take over the training of America's youth. Referred to today as the father of the nation's public school system, Dewey's dream was a socialist society, his own piece of heaven on earth.
0: This year, 29 million U.S. youngsters are going to school. Youngsters to kindergarten, to the grade, to high school. All greatly impressionable now. Tomorrow, masters of
2: a nation's destiny. And
1: And then there was the modern concept of adolescence, proposed by research psychologist G. Stanley Hall. Basing his ideas on the theory of evolution, Hall suggested that adolescence was a distinct stage through which each person passed on their way from a primitive child to a civilized adult. To optimize this transition, Hall advocated removing young people as much as possible from the adult community, isolating them in their own institutions.
0: Now hold on, Miss Fox. It's all very well to teach my boy to paint pretty pictures and build birdhouses, but he doesn't even know his multiplication tables.
1: Enter now the federal government. Flush with the new power to tax and the dream of a bureaucrat-sponsored utopia, law and policymakers set about addressing the unique challenges of the modern era. High on their list of priorities were the special needs of America's youth. Child labor laws were passed and longer schooling was required. Gradually, top-down, state-run schools became the rule of the day. The perfect laboratory for testing Dewey's and Hall's theories had become a reality the era of the isolated adolescent had begun. The book Dancing in the Dark captures the essence of this critical moment in modern history. In the 20th century, adolescence became less a time to prepare for adulthood than an attempt to delay or prevent it. It created a self-contained world in which prolonged immaturity could sustain itself. The new ideology of adolescence made possible a new youth community with a powerful influence that could surpass any outside influence on its members' lives.
2: Though perhaps well-intentioned, the problem with this new ideology was its denial of biblical principles. God never intended for young people to live in a self-contained world and learn about life from one another. No matter how powerful this new adolescent subculture seemed on the surface, without the discipline of parental wisdom, it was and is doomed. How do I know? We'll read the owner's manual.
1: Proverbs tells us that the glory of a young person is their strength. This vitality, this willingness to take on the world, to challenge the status quo, to take risks, is among the most valuable and glorious characteristics of youth. God loves it and loves to make use of it. Jesus' disciples were young, and it was a teenage David that God sent to confront Goliath. But this strength is only one part of the overall picture. The proverb goes on to say that the splendor of an old man is his gray head, a metaphor for wisdom. Few things in life are more effective in gaining wisdom than fearing God and then simply living, bearing up under the trials of life. So while it may have been a young David that God used to slay Goliath, it was an older and wiser David that God sent to command the armies of Israel. And herein lies the balance and the wisdom of God. The strength of youth married to the wisdom of age and this is why the family is the most basic unit of the kingdom of god why the first eight chapters of proverbs are filled with fervent pleas to learn wisdom from our parents and why god wrote by his own hand the first commandment that deals with interpersonal relationships honor your father and mother Tragically, the social experiment developed by men like Dewey and Hall ignored this truth and struck a tremendous blow against the already crumbling bulwark of the American family. But another, even more devastating blow was to follow.
0: So don't hide your head from the shocking fact. The teenage party, where anything goes for a thrill.
1: Nature abhors a vacuum. As parental influence declined, something had to step in and help young people make sense of the world. They needed a voice, a cultural identity, something that had an aura of power and authority they could call their own. In the early 1950s, they found it.
0: The news, good
1: it's not like the revolution was planned. It just so happened that as the century progressed, as the youth subculture got bigger, richer, and more defined, the technology for recording and broadcasting sound was also coming into its own. Like any business, its leaders were looking for a product and a market that would secure their fortunes.
0: Hey Steve, we must be out of our cotton-picking mind. We should be getting some sleep instead of coming here. Maybe so, but something's getting these people out of their houses. I'm gonna find out what it is.
1: Enter rock and roll. The youth subculture had found its voice a collective experience that served to both reinforce as well as shape their view of the world. Rock and roll is
0: cool, daddy, and
1: you know it. Musicians became symbols of power as well as role models, filling in for the fathers who were either not around or who were being crowded out by the anti-adult bias beginning to simmer beneath the surface of youth culture. Junior was suddenly more likely to want to be like Elvis than like dear old dad. John,
0: uh, it's our feeling here in Jersey City that this rock and roll rhythm is filled with dynamite.
1: The fact that parents didn't often care much for this new music only made it seem that much more attractive. Traditional values were becoming increasingly uncool. Of course, it's not like the West had never seen a cultural shift along generational lines before. Styles change, tastes evolve, and every generation needs to find its own voice but never had the glue of family grown so weak. Never had technologies existed that could broadcast so many ideas and temptations over such great distances and do it immediately.
0: Hi everybody, how are you all? This is yours, Julie Allen Freed, welcoming you to the Big
1: Beat. As the decade progressed, another suitor began be to court the youth audience. Hollywood had suffered a decline in movie revenues as a result of television and had begun scrambling to fill seats. Market research found that not only were the baby boomers booming in numbers, they also had more money than ever before, a lot more. Youth-oriented films began to come off the assembly line at ever-increasing rates, provoking one industry executive to complain, teenage tastes are exerting a tyranny over the industry. It's getting so show business is just one big puberty right.
0: I mean, you realize who goes to see movies. Eighty percent of them are between the ages of 12 and 22. And you know what kids like?
2: What? Well, this may sound silly to you, but kids go completely ape if you do three things in a picture. Defy authority, destroy property, and take people's clothes off.
1: Gradually, this tyranny spread to television as well. Increased competition, most notably during the expansion of cable in the late 80s, began to redirect industry attention to a teenage audience that watched 30 plus hours of TV a week and had over $75 billion a year to spend. Perhaps even more significantly, studies also showed that young people were much more susceptible to the appeals of advertising. As a result, even though a show like Murder, She Wrote could deliver a larger audience share than Beverly Hills 90210, a 30-second ad on the latter was worth some $30,000 more simply because it could deliver a more vulnerable audience. As ABC research whiz Alan Wurtzel told TV Guide in 1992, We're going for the young market for the same reason Willie
2: Sutton robbed banks. That's where the money is. As we close out this century, the powerful symbiotic relationship between youth culture and the entertainment industry shows no signs of abating. Today, the average teen spends less than one hour a week learning from his or her father, but spends 40 hours and $30 a week on entertainment. Total expendable income is approaching $100 billion a year. And the entertainment industry, for the most part, has shown a willingness to do whatever it has to to get that money. And it's here where our story begins to turn into a nightmare.
1: As the 1950s began, most parents viewed the love affair between youth culture and the electronic media as little more than a nuisance. After all, most kids were still decent enough, and the entertainment when they bothered to check it out seemed fairly harmless perhaps more importantly, for busy parents in a busy world, the occasional negative element seemed a small price to pay for something that kept the kids occupied. And so, amid all the prosperity and freedom of the modern era, a slow chain reaction began to take place. Within the newly constructed enclave of adolescent culture, kids were left more and more to do what kids do, when given the chance, have fun and see what they can get away with and the entertainment industry driven like any business to make a profit gave their young audience what they wanted you want to see life as one big party you want to celebrate youth and more or less write off the adults how about fighting the system after all it's messed up isn't it what about sex you interested these types of messages as tame as they are by today's standards served to reinforce and then gradually define teenage attitudes behavior and culture the mirror that hollywood and the music industry held up before the face of young america turned out to be a magic one with the power to transform as well as reflect in the 27th chapter of proverbs god warns hell and destruction are never full in the same way the eyes of a man are never satisfied Hell's hook was now firmly set in the mouths of both artist and audience. Hollywood wanted the money, and teenagers wanted to be entertained. But it had to be new. It had to be bigger, and faster, and wilder, and crazier, and sexier, and grosser than the time before.
2: The devil's very good at what he does. He's had plenty of practice. And like any good fisherman, he knows you have to be careful not to jerk the line, or it might break. If you want to land the fish, you do it slow and easy. In a decade when only a small
1: minority of misfits are sexually active, perverting takes patience, a little innuendo here, some titillation there, a gradual application of pressure, and there's no telling how far you and your prey can go. Teenage kids living it up and doing things they can never live down. If you're the devil and you get lucky, you may even be able to turn things around so far that it I becomes the few misfits anyone. who aren't sexually active. I
2: never made it with
0: anyone. I'm a... you know. You are? For real? Doesn't this blend of blindness and blindness want to make you do something crazy? Then why not do something crazy?
1: Then there's rebellion.
0: You know, go nuts, go crazy. Get creative. Got problems, you just check them, no, God!
1: rebellion is a particularly useful sin because once you can get a person to reject authority, other sins become that much easier to push. That's why God views rebellion as the moral equivalent of witchcraft, and why in Old Testament times he commanded that an incorrigibly rebellious child be stoned to death. Well, here again, the forces of hell have got to take it slow and easy if they're going to move a culture from the place where leather jackets and cigarettes are a big deal. To where, well, let's get real ambitious here.
0: The Beavis and Butthead Moronathon, all this weekend
1: on MTV. How about to where one of the most popular animated shows features two mindless and rebellious teens who do everything from masturbate on screen to steal credit cards? How about getting young people to imitate primitive pagan cultures by permanently marking, piercing and scarifying their bodies? Or how about live concerts where impossibly obscene musicians scream impossibly obscene lyrics while pretending to dismember bodies, decapitate and sodomize priests, drink blood, and urinate on the audience? There are some
2: things that probably surprise even the devil. As if hell didn't have enough to work with already, three other aspects of the Cultural Revolution kicked in that sent the engine of apostasy into overdrive. Around the 1970s,
1: men and women who had been raised under the influence of the modern entertainment industry began to become a part of it. This was significant because prior to this, most of the creative people in Hollywood had a conscience that had been influenced by another, more noble era. This moral residue kept all hell from breaking loose. Marilyn Monroe, for example, played suggestive roles and even posed semi-nude, but there was still something vulnerable and very human about her. One could sense that she knew it really wasn't right. Contrast that to the artist who has been labeled the new Marilyn. The consummate product of the entertainment era, Madonna is the moral equivalent of a blank slate. Without any moral reference point, her depictions of homosexuality, sadomasochism and group sex are not to be weighted down to her way of thinking with questions of right and wrong. They are what she feels, and therefore, true. The
0: most important thing is that I say the things I want to say in my music
2: or whatever expression that may be.
1: As artists like Madonna have become major players in the entertainment industry, the fires of spiritual deception have burned that much hotter. Not only am I happening, but there's a lot more coming from where I come from, so hold on to your horses because it doesn't end with me. There's more like me coming from home, okay? Fuel to the fire was also added by the discovery that sleaze was a cheap and easy way to make a movie exciting, popular and through its provocativeness even appear important. Before that it took talent and hard work, rare and often expensive commodities in any era. Guess which method found more and more favor in Hollywood? You didn't
0: feel anything for him, you just had sex with him for your book.
1: In the beginning. Finally, there was the pastime that by the 70s had become a national obsession, watching television. Regardless of the very real problem of content, study after study strongly indicates that spending hours a day, as one television engineer rather proudly put it, staring at the modern version of Mesmer's watch swinging on a chain, has a negative impact on imagination, inferential reasoning, literacy, emotional growth in a number of critical areas, capacity for independent thought, proper brain development, and on and on. And the younger the viewer, the greater the damage. Respected scholar Dr. Yuri Bronfenbrenner summed it up well. Like the sorcerer of old, the television set casts its magic spell, freezing speech and action, turning the living into silent statues. The primary danger of the television screen lies not so much in the behavior it produces, although there is danger there, as in the behavior it prevents. The talks, the games, the family festivities and arguments through which much of the child's learning takes place, and through which character is formed. Turning on the television set can turn off the process that transforms children into people. The effects of this in regard to spiritual deception should be obvious. People whose ability to think has been suppressed are people who are easier to control.
0: Let us not forget that in TV we have the greatest instrument for mass persuasion in the history of the world.
1: Satan knows this. Tyrants down through the ages have known this. And today, the entertainment industry has discovered it as well. Bob Pittman, one of the creators of MTV, the cable channel that has practically become synonymous with youth culture, has said, our core audience is the television babies who grew up on TV and rock and roll. The strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going, make them forget their logic, you've got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. Are you ready to enter
0: the new kingdom? Yes, father. It is a ritual practiced widely in the suburbs of
2: North America.
0: She gets her own TV? It's MTV. Today you are a woman.
1: MTV, it's all part of growing up. From programming to commercials, lyrics to video imagery, it's evident that MTV and other forms of youth-oriented entertainment don't see parents sharing much in the lives of their children.
0: Eat this.
1: Adults are rarely seen, and when they do show up, they're typically portrayed as idiots or uncool.
0: It's nothing but sex, sex, sex.
1: Or harsh and judgmental. Sex, sex, sex. Or all of the above.
0: That's picking up dinner, thrilling pizza, or another bucket of chicken. No, he's going for our new Taco Bell Big Bell dinner pack. Our dad. This could change everything. Yeah, mom will get a raging deal. Dad, buy some kicking gear. We'll become a cool family.
1: Hey campers, who wants tacos?
0: Well, at least dinner won't be lame.
1: Is it any wonder that in such a rebellious era, almost anything can happen, and has? It's worth noting that the organization who brought us this poison is Time Warner Incorporated. From Madonna to ice Tea, this multi-billion dollar conglomerate has learned that selling sin and playing kids against their parents is just another way to make a buck. Their monthly promotional video and magazine, for example, features this soul-seeking missile. Nicely packaged with these words from Time Warner itself. Rapture has enough crosses and priests to open a full-service headbanger seminary. Of course, being as sick as they are, at Morbid Angels Parish, you get a bath in scalding hot holy water. Keep this band away from your folks. Far from being an isolated example, this type of wickedness has become so common today That it would take many many more videos to adequately catalog the depth and range of our rebellion against god but let's conclude by briefly examining a classic of the teen movie genre the 1983 blockbuster risky business the film opens with a dream sequence that nicely encapsulates the movie's plot and message as a teenage tom cruise walks past an open bible And into a steam shrouded bathroom where a mysterious naked woman stands just out of reach and so begins the central characters journey from what is seen as the old tired world of convention and morality into the exciting new world of sin and risky business
0: every now and then say what the what the gives you freedom freedom brings opportunity opportunity makes your
1: future. Armed with this advice from his best friend and with his parents out of town, Cruz begins to push the limits. He gets drunk, tears around town in his father's Porsche, explores perverted sex, hires a prostitute, does drugs, abuses the school nurse, and finally becomes a pimp turning his parents' home into a whorehouse and his teenage friends into paying customers. If all this weren't bad enough, the movie concludes on the note that sin and rebellion pay. His parents never catch on, and his sexual exploits end up getting him into a college that had originally turned him down.
2: I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just gotta say, what the heck?
1: And most incredible of all, the film blatantly mocks the young people who play by the rules, by cynically contrasting their meager profits.
0: My name is Williams. We sell decorative planters for $7. We made a profit of last
1: Against the thousands made by Cruz as he left biblical morality behind.
2: My name is Joel Goodson. I deal in human fulfillment. I grossed over 8000 dollars in one night. The time of your life In the last book of the Bible, Jesus tells a group of people to remember from where you have fallen. As Americans, we need to remember. We need to remember when we were one nation under God. We need to remember a 10-year-old John Quincy Adams who wrote to his father, Sir, if you will be so good as to favor me with a blank book, I will transcribe the most remarkable occurrences I meet with in my reading, which will serve to fix them in my mind. By comparison, today's young people spend less than 15 minutes a day reading, against hours of television and music, and are far more likely to be familiar with Freddy Krueger than John Adams, Madonna more than the mother of Jesus. We need to remember a young Abe Lincoln, huddled by the fireplace, reading, thinking, preparing himself for the time he knew would one day come. We need to remember when families feared God, when they lived, ate, fought, and died together. We need to remember when our culture had a conscience and a sense of shame. We need to remember, and then do the next thing Jesus said, we need to repent. Today, our nation and our youth are being taken captive into an electronic Babylon. And as long as we remain obsessed with entertainment, as long as we continue to lift up our hearts to idols of blasphemy, lust, pride, violence, and vanity, that captivity will only grow worse. It's time to turn off the lies, America. It's time to wake up.